Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for April 17th, 2008. Uh, we're happy to be back yet again. We've got a, hopefully an interesting show today. Um, Fred Frazetta is going to be our guest, and our, we're going to be talking about some construction construction issues, permitting issues, um, and how they relate to general safety. It's been a topic of interest uh, over the last few months for, for various reasons, and we'll get into those details here in a minute. First off, I want to introduce uh, our regular folks. Uh, Jeff Simpson's here. Hi, Jeff. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, David McKee is here as well. Hi, David. How are you? Fine. Sort of breathless from, from wrapping up an obituary for Spamalot. <laughs> yeah, I saw that today. We'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. Um, I, actually, we can talk about that uh, at the very top of the show. Uh, and then Chuck from Vegas Tripping, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you guys doing? Good. Um, regular listeners will wonder where Dave Schwartz is. Dave is uh, unable to be with us today. Um, he has not been spam allotted. He will be back next time. Um, so we will proceed without him. So before we get into the construction stuff, let's let's real quickly just touch on um, what what David mentioned a second ago, which was specifically the news that came over the wire and was on the RJ website a little while ago, stating that Danny Gans, longtime headliner at the Mirage, is going to be moving to, well, the release has Encore. The theater he's going to be moving into is currently the Grail Theater for Spamalot, which is technically, I think, part of Wynn Las Vegas. But, you know, we're splitting hairs there, I think. Um, so, you know, this is an interesting development. Uh, especially considering um, Steve Fries did an uh, interview with Steve Wynn about a month ago uh, where Wynn specifically denied this rumor. I mean, it wasn't a no comment. It was a point blank, no way, I'd, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. So it was kind of funny to then see this news so, so soon after that fact. Um, you know, Wynn, Wynn signed Gans to his deal at the Mirage. Obviously, he's a, he's a fan. Um, the RJ, I think it was Mike Weatherford's article, um, talking about how there's really no love loss between MG Mirage and and Danny Gans. Um, your guys' take on this? Is this an important thing? Is this just a, a entertainment headliner shuffle? Um, does it matter? Like it's a sad day. You think so? Why? Well, I mean, I think Spamalot was was a very good show. I saw it twice. I thought it was didn't need to make any apologies for being a, a Vegas version of the same show. Some of the cuts were helpful, and it was it was of the the scale you would expect to see a Broadway musical on Broadway. It was very well performed, um, and it's just you know the the. Uh, Broadway musicals keep, uh, you know, they just, uh, with the exception of Mamma Mia, they just simply don't seem to have much staying power here. So I, I think it's, you know, Danny Gans aside, I think it's an unfortunate development for entertainment in Las Vegas. Go ahead, Jeff. I, I was going to say that, you know, um, I've talked to, to Wynn about that theater, and you know, first of all, it opened as the Avenue, it was Avenue Q's theater, and then they expanded it for spam a lot and you know when has never been pleased with the reception that either of those shows got i think that um both musicals were were fantastic um and you know the people who like them love them 
but they never, you know, were like sellouts um, like he had when he had Mystere, when he had O. And I think that, you know, that's something that he wants, a little more uh, dynamism there. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I heard Steve's interview um, with Wynn on, on Steve's, um, Steve's podcast. And, you know, Wynn was pretty much saying that, you know, it's not going to happen because he can't have a theater with only right. four performances a week. I think that, you know, that's probably the the variable here, and I don't know that he's that anybody has announced how many performances per week there will be, but I venture to say that, you know, it's probably five or more. Um, and and I don't know that to be the case, and maybe Wynn did, you know, say, all right, I'd rather have four Danny Gann shows than 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 nothing. Um, I I agree with David that it's sad for 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 musical theater lovers in Las Vegas when you know good shows like Avenue Q like Spamalot um, don't don't last as long as many of us would have hoped. But um, on the other hand, um, you know when they when they built when they built Win, um, it was originally intended that there would be three theaters. Um, the one, the Larev Theater, um, the Avenue Q Theater, and then a third theater that would, um, at first they said it would, it could be for Spamalot, and then they decided, you know what, we'll just convert the Avenue Q Theater for Spamalot. When I, when the last time I did a walkthrough of the suites at um, the Encore mock-up suites, Wynn said that he's only going to have the two venues for the for the two properties mm -hmm. um, that could change but he you certainly it will be the Spamalot theater that becomes the Gans you know Gans's venue um, and you know I, I I would I would venture to say when when absolutely likes Danny Gans and 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 the question was just whether he was able to get him to perform more than four times a week well you know I I see I seen Danny Gans show at the Mirage uh, I saw both Avenue Q and Spamalot in Las Vegas. Um, I loved Avenue Q. I was very sad to see it go. Uh, I, I enjoyed Spamalot quite a bit. I did think that adding seats to the theater was a big mistake because it feels totally cramped in there now. Uh, it was very uncomfortable, and I've heard that from many people where it went from being a nice, nice comfortable theater to something that's just crammed full of seats. And while I did enjoy Danny's show um, – you know, and I, I'm 28 years old, so I'm on the younger edge of things. But um, the uh, the references are all to people that you know are not really of my <laughs> of my time. They're you're not a, for a you're not a George Burns fan. <laughs> See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So you know, I I obviously know who George Burns is, but you know, some some people a couple years my junior might not. And I realize that Wynn's not really marketing to 20-somethings as much as he is to 30, 30 to 45, 50-year-olds. But still, his show seems so incredibly dated. Uh, and I don't know if he's updated it because I haven't seen it for a couple of years, but I sure hope so. His commercials are dated. Um, you know, the commercials that they run on Las Vegas uh, television, you know, they they have, you know, George Burns and the, and the you know, the performers who were, you know, on the strip in the 70s and the 80s. Um, and, you know, um, when, when Danny was at the Rio, I mean, probably a lot of those folks were a little bit more in vogue. I got to think he does freshen his act up, but I know that like Michael Jackson is still prominent in his act and, you know, it's yes. I think that's a that's a valid point, um, and it'll be interesting to see if he can retool the show. 
Um, but you know, I, I just I, I've never seen it, so I really can't. It, I don't think it's my type of uh, performance, quite frankly. But so I doubt that I will. But um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Well, as long as you got the the floor, Jeff. I mean, they you know after three years they're still tinkering with with Larev. They so what's the what's the rationale for well, keeping that? Well, you know, and I saw your post, and and I actually I think I like Larev. I think it's an it's an interesting theater the the theater in the round. Um, the show has I mean when it opened it was so incredibly dark, and they quickly removed some of the darkest elements uh, from it, and they have gradually you know energized it i think they you know they have um the the most recent um changes included um you know sort of wholesale costuming and then a um a choreographic revitalization where you know win brought in and a, another choreographer um after Dragon to, to you know, sort of make the dance elements um, a little more um, energetic. Um, and that was something that you know I think he and Elaine um, thought that the the uh, the show would benefit from. But the, that show is is successful, um, and you know it doesn't. It's not oh successful, but it's um, it is a. It is successful in its own right. I mean, there are plenty of shows on the Strip. Um, almost every show on the Strip that's not a Cirque show would be very happy with the results that that show um, achieves. And you know, and 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 there's, I I can't criticize them for trying to make it more appealing. Um, those shows, as everyone on here knows, um, are designed to appeal to everybody, um, whether you're from, you know, Taiwan, whether you're from, you know, um, Shanghai, whether you're from Chicago. Um, they, they're, they're something that appeals. There's no, there's no language barriers. Um, I think the theater itself is um, pretty um, spectacular. Well, and I think that's a big part of it, too, is mm -hmm. that, you know, the sunk cost in that theater is huge compared to the Broadway theater that they've used for the two musicals. I mean, the cost to rip out all that aqua crap and put in a, a more traditional show would be immense. Well, I don't know that that theater is any more expensive. Certainly the MGM Grand Theater for Ka, um, because they had to go into an existing property and it has such incredible, uh, you know, staging elements. That, um, based on what I understand, that's the most expensive theater in the city. But but certainly the Loren Theater is quite expensive. Um, you know, probably a little more expensive than O's Theater, which is undoubtedly the single most um, successful show you know in Las Vegas history. Uh, you know, that's not. I don't know about Siegfried and Roy. I don't know how you would compare old dollars with new dollars. But um, I think that um, you know, Larev in its own terms, I think is successful. It's not O, but it's certainly better than almost everything else up and down the strip. All right. Well, I wanted to touch on that since it was breaking news, but I do want to get to what the main purpose of our call is, and that's to talk about some of these construction, safety, and permitting issues. And I'll sort of try and frame it a little bit, and then uh, and then we'll try and step through it and give a little bit of history for people that maybe aren't up to speed. And um, you know, I'll uh, I'll try and give the broad strokes, and then people that are more familiar with it than I am can can fill in the details. So. 
Uh, I'm not sure. When did the Harris story originally break as far as uh, the the when did you first blow the whistle, Fred? Um, well, the story broke. Uh, there's a big difference in time. The story broke in October of 2007. Right. Okay. Um, I originally started the whistleblowing um, back in June of 2006. Okay. So we've got two sort of not time-wise parallel, but similar stories in that we've got Harrah's making renovations to properties without permits uh, with potential uh, safety implications. And then we've got the um, infamous Monte Carlo fire, which um, also could have had some serious potential safety implications for guests. Uh, both seem to come back to the same issue of, you know, are these co companies being too lax? Are they playing by the rules? Is the county holding them to this stuff? Is there any real kind of repercussions for them when they break the rules? Um, you know, there's a lot of different issues here. So I guess, Fred, if you don't mind, if you wouldn't mind outlining, you know, in just a couple of minutes um, what you discovered uh, and the general timeline for people that might not be totally up to speed on the Harris end of things. Okay. I started with Harris in uh, April of 2005 at the Rio Hotel, and it was my first stint with a hotel and work in construction inside the city in a major hotel. Um, they, uh, I got involved in the 19th floors of two of the towers and then one complete tower from the 18th floor down to the third, um, which was phase one of the Rio. I didn't realize at the time, I thought it was kind of curious that there were no inspectors that showed up on the job. But then again, not having been on the strip, I thought maybe they had a little bit different arrangement with the county building department. Um, I left that project. Uh, they liked my work. I ended up going to Harris um, in November of 2005. Uh, I ended up back at the Rio in February of 2006 until May of 2006. And when I went back to Harris, um, it, this, this all actually started with me with asbestos exposure on other jobs inside of Harris Hotel that were done illegally and that are now documented. Um, I had two of my fellow employees come to me. They had been exposed while I was gone at the Rio. Um, at that same time, we started another illegal remodel, um, Mardi Gras South Tower at Harris. It was going to be from the 15th floor down to the third floor. Um, and for those that aren't familiar, it's the old section um, of Harris that faces Imperial Palace, and it's right up over Carnival Court. And at that point in time, I realized what they had done, and I made phone calls to both uh, the building department and OSHA at that point in time, um, which they both showed up about the same time, third week of June. And it was from that point until October of 2007, Review Journal got involved with me in July of 2007 that the story started to unfold. And what I found is that they'd been doing illegal remodels um, on rooms in their hotels from the mid-90s. And you're talking about issues which are now documented uh, that they didn't use fire caulk as uh, Ron Lynn at the building department put to me in a meeting just a couple of weeks ago that they left the rooms were um, subpar, um, that they were unsafe. The word has been used over and over again between the building department and the fire department as public fire safety hazards. And at this point in time, some of those rooms that were originally closed that everybody read about 
um, are still closed. There are still rooms closed at the Rio, and there are still rooms closed at Harris. And then, of course, there's been additional um, – Harris came forward just recently with additional hotels and some of the work they hadn't done. Um, but it's all still ongoing. Hmm. Frank, Frank, it seems so you know ridiculous for these companies to try and skirt the rules. Why, why do you think that they went, that they decided not to apply for permits and follow the code? Um, it just seems like penny wise and pound foolish. Was it dot? Was it dollar concern? Just you know, irritation with procedure, or what, what, why would they do that? You hit it right on the head. Um, what has come back to me, and this is from um, engineers that I worked with that were um, longtime employees of Harris, that it came down to the fact that um, in going through the permit process, it was taking them too long. Um, a lot of uh, what they wanted to do, they wanted to do, the, obviously, is that uh, it all comes down to money. The faster that they get that they turn the rooms over, um, the more money um, that they're going to make because they'll have the rooms back online. Uh, they were saving money. Um, people were making bonuses, but they were still saving a lot of money per room um, doing the remodels themselves because basically they used workers from the hotel, and this is Harris personnel because I was actually a construction engineer out of 501. Um, instead of using IBEW, um, which would be the electricians union, um, that they were using uh, engineers that were supposed to were maintenance, you know, supposed to change light bulbs out in that, and they had us um, doing major construction. So it saved them money. Um, I didn't think when I realized what they had been doing, it didn't make any sense to me at all because they left the rooms unsafe if there had been a fire and you're talking over 10 years that some of these rooms that were left in unsafe conditions, that you would have had um, people most likely die that shouldn't have died because the systems had been compromised, the safety systems. So, I mean, that sounds pretty pretty serious. I mean, obviously the implications of this are, are extremely serious. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about the response, right? So, you you went and started ringing the bell and saying, look, this isn't right. Um, now, at first, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but my, my recollection is that pretty much you got the blow off. Um, people were saying, yeah, well, even when they did send out an inspector, he basically signed off on the stuff, at, I think it was at the Rio, correct, um, without, uh, without really doing a thorough inspection. Well, the original... Um, call that I made was for Harris for the South Mardi Gras Tower. The Rio, um, I started that complaint process about a month after because I realized um, through the inspection process that the other problems that had been left behind at the Rio. And so I realized at that point in time the severity. Yes, mm. the, the building department um, basically that uh, they were pretty bothered with me calling them. Um, they had a big gray area. This was something that they hadn't um, anticipated, I guess, um, to have to take care of the older buildings. And, I mean, the Rio wasn't that old. Um, Harris is older. Um, they, hadn't, they didn't have um, an investigating team to actually handle that type of work. And, and I got uh, the person that you're referring to, Richard uh, uh, Maddox, is no longer employed by the county, but uh, he was the one that took and was assigned the initial complaint for the Rio. 
And the Rio Hotel is that it took him six months from the time that I filed my complaint, which was in August of 2006. He didn't show up on the property until February of 2007. And he basically, I guess they did have, um, this was in the Kessler report, they had a, a GPS on his car. And I think from the time that he turned his car off or he arrived and then when he turned his car back on, he was 38 minutes. And in that time, he <laughs> he went through 38 rooms or so and that he said that the only thing that he found was one light fixture. And, um, and that wasn't the case. And that really, that was the point where I realized that there was a little bit more going on than, you know, than just the remodels, or at least that I felt that way. And I still feel that way today. I mean, we and then we we move down the road, and the RJ decides to take up the story, right? And they definitely shine a light on this, which is which starts to force people to to take action. Harris goes on the defensive. Um, now, what was the ultimate? It's still it's still pending. The county hasn't made a final determination as to what it, will the company get a fine. Do we know how that's going to work out? Well, they've got two. If you if um, you've been following it all, there's uh, the two chief engineers, one at Harris. Um, who I worked underneath, and one at uh, the Rio, were cited by the building department. And what was kind of funny about that, and I've gone back and forth, I'm still going back and forth with the uh, building department, that um, neither one of those people were in, involved in these remodels. They were not responsible for the remodels. But uh, apparently the DA's office said, well, you know, ultimately it's the – chief engineers that should be held responsible. Anything that happens inside the hotel, they should be the ones responsible. And I've countered that with, well, why not cite the presidents of the hotel, which would be Don Marandino and Marilyn Wynn at the time, um, and then let it go downhill, is that at least to figure out is that who was ultimately responsible, because there's a, a and I've named all of them, there's a bunch of mid-management people that were involved in this from the very start, going back into the 90s. And, uh, you know, as it stands right now, that uh, Harris mustn't be too concerned because the chief engineer at Harris just got a promotion, and uh, they've replaced him. There's a new um, chief at Harris, and uh, it looks like, you know, it's kind of going to get washed underneath the carpet. And, you know, it's not just the fact that they, they did the illegal remodels. It's the fact that they, the condition that they left the rooms in. They left the rooms unsafe for people to stay in, and that's been probably the, the the biggest complaint that I've had. That it's negligence and it's gross negligence because it's been ten plus years that they've done it, and Harris doesn't want it to go to court. And it looks like uh, we're waiting on the fire department because the fire department is still ha still has an active investigation, and so that they haven't handed over their paperwork um, to the DA's office yet. And so I'm uh, anticipating that there may be some more citations or there may be some additional action um, that on this, but uh, right now that the paperwork is still at the fire department as far as I know. Okay. Well, I want to talk about uh, I want to talk a little bit about what we think about the Monte Carlo stuff again in a second. But I believe that you actually were terminated by Harris. Is that correct? That is do correct. You, do you feel that that was malicious? I mean, I believe I read their reason was something about a light bulb. Yeah. Well, it was actually uh, six light bulbs um, that uh, for the year. And what most people don't realize, 
that I was at this with them for a year before I was fired. It had nothing to do as with my termination. It wasn't a, an angry employee that left. I was actively, um, as one of the reasons that the journal took the case in the first place, that I had the documentation on when I started and what I had done to bring this to light. Um, they definitely is that they, uh, in the very beginning, they really didn't know what to do with me because they'd not had somebody stand up to them in the past. Um, they ended up giving me three shift changes. The last shift change, they put me on graveyard in August of uh, 2006 until the time I was terminated, basically to take me out of the mix that I w wouldn't be there during the day. Because they tried to do some illegal remodels back in 2006 afterwards, and they figured you know, that if I wasn't there during the day, I wouldn't be able to turn them in, and that didn't work out so well for them because I had other people that were giving me information so I could make the phone calls anyways. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, it it sounds like it sounds like uh, you know there's the story is yet to be uh, fully written on on the Harris side of things. But I want to switch gears for a minute and talk a little bit about the Monte Carlo fire because what I what I read as far as some of the post mortem stuff from that basically sounds like nothing's going to change. Nothing's. I mean the the weld the welding company that was doing the work and for those that aren't aware. Um, some uh i guess they call it slag it's a it's, a, it's <clears throat> the it's used in welding and they were working on the roof of the monte carlo and um they didn't have some kind of protective gear out or something. i'm not I'm not a welder so <laughs> um they didn't they didn't take all the proper precautions and they lit the building on fire and it burned uh, fortunately uh didn't really cause any major uh <clears throat> major uh, human cost but uh you know, lit the EIFS on fire, and we've talked about this a little bit in the past. So, you know, I think people are kind of familiar, and I'm sure they saw it on TV. It was unmistakable and very scary looking. Um, it's, you know, after the fact that they started looking into it, uh, they they basically said, well, it was this welding company, and they didn't have the right permits. And the welding company, I don't think, has ever really even admitted that they did anything wrong. Um and, and that seemed like that was sort of the end of it. And, I mean, that just seems kind of ridiculous in something that was uh, as major event as that. I mean, is, is the county and its apparatus taking these things seriously? Well, I just wanted to add a few details to the story. The, uh, the company, the welders, union erectors, they were let off on the grounds that, that the fire was unintentional. Um, so, you know, next says, uh, I owe this line to Fred. I mean, next time you're caught speeding, just tell the cop it was unintentional. Um, <laughs> they were welding. They, they, they weren't just welding without a welding permit. They were using a window washing permit. Um, and uh, they um, uh, also had the fire got inside. There might have been, you know, things might have gotten. It's hard to imagine it getting much worse than it looked, but in installing some safes, they had cut into the walls and compromised their their fire uh, retention capacity. So the, the, these that was something else that came out in in the aftermath, although it was about a one day story. Nobody you know nobody seemed to to take up the cudgels on that. It just seems like there's a pattern of these kinds of things being sort of swept under the rug unless they are forced to deal with them, whether it's through public pressure, um, you know, in the case of Harris, the RJ taking up the case. I mean, is the county just scared to take on these companies? I mean, they they just kind of see it as this is, you know, this is where our bread is buttered and we better not make any waves. 
I think it's not just it's not just the county building department. I think that it has that you're talking about uh, public officials. That there's you know that there's a reason. I mean, obviously Harris is the largest gaming company in the in the world. There's considered that, and um, they employ quite a few people in this town. And what I heard from the very beginning, and and I mean, I tried for a year before the Review Journal took the story, that you know that basically one that people couldn't believe that Harris would be that stupid to do things, and this you know and and if you take a look at it, it's it's not very smart on their part because if there had been a fire, they could have lost their whole company um, in the lawsuits that would have um, you know been filed, and you know that in the in asking is about the uh, going back is that to the Monte Carlo, what it shows that the county, the fire department could have issued citations and should have. I've been told that in the future, and I have a problem with this, that in the future, that if somebody does the same thing, that there will be citations and they will be taken to task. And my question is, why would we wait until the next time? Because the Kessler report has come out. It, it is already pinpointed that they have numerous problems with enforcement. We know we seem to have a very weak enforcement of the codes. We have codes there to protect people. The county building department and the fire department are there to prevent these type of things from happening. And when union erectors, you know, was welding up on the roof, if they wouldn't have been welding, and this is how I simply put it, if they wouldn't have been welding, we wouldn't have had a fire. So does it matter if you did it on purpose or you didn't? You know that because they they were the cause of it, and that it cost a hundred million dollars is what's been written in the paper um, for that fire. I think that they should be held responsible. Same thing as it with Harris. You know that, and both of them are active. They could still turn around to union erectors, but for some reason, behind closed doors that there's decisions that are being made that they, they're not going after these people. And if you don't go after them and you don't make an example at some point in time, what motivation does anybody have to follow the rules? Yeah, that's an excellent point. Which ties into the series The Sun did about uh, Nevada OSHA. And- right. Don't even, yeah. that, those stories I thought were like chill, very chilling. I mean, I, I read those um, that series, and to, to just read about the, you know, continued lack of respect for these safety guidelines, and it sounds like it's, you know, I know it's Perini's got a lot of subs on these on these jobs, but you know, it, they're doing a lot of work on the strip, so their name's coming up a lot. But I mean, it, it was just it's just scary to see that kind of stuff out there. I mean, it, it it, and I'm glad the Sun did the series. I mean, it was great to have somebody you know looking at that stuff. I've talked to. Um Two of the people, actually, the uh, the mother and father of uh, Travis Kohler that died at the uh, New Orleans, um, and um, she is beside herself. And there's, of course, there's been stories this this past week. Um, Review Journal ran, ran a story because it's been reopened by federal OSHA. Um, we have issues. Uh, I have issues with OSHA, state OSHA here. Um, again, is that there were people during these 10 years of plus of remodeling that were exposed to known carcinogenics. Um, it made it very convenient for Harris because they didn't have to abate when they, when they did these remodels. 
um, which gives none of the workers a chance to go back after if they were to get sick because anybody who knows anything about asbestos, it takes 15 to 25 years for you to get sick. If there's no documentation that you actually did work and you did it in an asbestos area and that you were exposed, where are you going to go? You don't have any place to, you don't have any place to go. What, what I've seen, and I've knocked on a lot of doors in this, it's almost two years now for me, that a lot of the agencies that we have in, at the state level, at the county level, at the city level, that they're very quick at turning their head the other way. And they have forgotten that their job is to protect the public, not to protect the big corporations, um, not to protect the casinos. And they've done an awfully good job. And, and Harris is a perfect example of it. Take a look at who Harris has on their payroll. The ex-mayor, Jan Jones. Right. Um, and, you know, that I had some things to say about Jan, and she's pretty much has stayed out of it from after the first month. Uh, because she kept putting her foot in her mouth that it was isolated incidences, uh, <laughs> right. you know, not very many rooms. It's not a big deal. And when you, if if people really take a look at this, that both the fire department and the building department are saying the same thing. Everything that I came forward with has been found to be true, and then some. And the, you know, the words that are most chilling is that they left behind in every room that they touched a public fire safety hazard. And if, if somebody's not held accountable for that, I mean, you have a right when you rent a room, you shouldn't have to, I think Joan Whiteley said, you shouldn't have to cross your fingers that your room's going to be safe. Well, you know, and it's you know ironic coming from the, the city that had a, such a massive hotel fire, you know, so many, many years ago now, but obviously had a huge impact on the hotel construction, building, and fire suppression industries all over the this country and probably beyond that. I mean, it had a huge impact, and it's still cited as um, as an example of uh, of learning the hard way. I mean, it, it. I don't know. It's just amazing. Now, I, I'm wondering, do we have any sense if this is the kind of thing that just is happening all over, and it's and it's uh, almost sort of uh, de facto standard? I mean, should we expect to find out that half of MGM Mirage properties have the same problem, or is this sort of company specific? Where it's um, you know Harris just likes to cut corners and that's the way they play it. Uh, I'm trying to get a feel for how widespread could this be. That's a good question. There um, have been other semi whistleblowers coming forward saying, um, but they haven't identified themselves and they haven't gone to the extent that I have that saying that there are other properties that have done the same thing. Um, and that would be scary. Uh, I don't think. I would hope that you know that uh, these other companies in town here have not gone to the extent of what Harris did, um, you know. And if they have, that uh, the building department is going to have an awful lot of work to do if they actually do their job. I mean, we're spending another four million dollars. I think that they have up is that uh, they're going to use out of the the budget to put investigators, um, special inspectors, out on the street to check the older hotels. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a suggestion. And the suggestion would be is that uh, instead of treating the whistleblowers, and if you look, um, the endoscopy clinics runs parallel to this too because you have big business and you had a state agency that looked the other way and, and people were afraid to stand up, that if you give some incentive to the whistleblower to actually, in situations like this, instead of them ending up as that uh, blackballed 
and not having a place to work um, or, you know, that getting, you know, that uh, abused in some way at work is that for standing up for trying to do something right, maybe that you set the fines. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the casino industry, a $100,000 fine is like a penny in my pocket. Right. And, and I said, but if you start the fines at about a million dollars and it doesn't matter, if they get caught doing illegal work, that it doesn't matter what it is, that why not give the incentive to the whistleblower that to recoup part of that money that as a reward, and then we don't have to spend any of the taxpayers' dollars and worry about the inspectors maybe getting favors from the hotels for looking the other way and that, but actually put it back in to the people's hands. You know, that there's a lot more of us than there are inspectors, and I mean I can't fault the inspectors at the Rio that Harris intentionally and willfully did these remodels. They knew what they were doing. They had other licensed contractors that were involved with them, that's, and they haven't been addressed yet either. You know, that's the other thing. Contractors Board. Contractors Board, whether you're aware of it or not, they released Ford Contracting. Ford Contracting did all the framing on these remodels. And Ford Contracting um, just got a – the building department got a letter from the um, – and I got to see it. I've got a copy of it. The building department got a letter from the contractors board saying that they found no wrongdoing on Ford Contracting's part. And Ford Contracting, as a licensed contractor, did the work without permits um, and without having inspections, knew better, has been in business since 77, and somehow that the inspector, and it's a supervising inspector at the um, contractors board that actually did the investigation, that uh, he closed it. He closed the case, and when I called him, he got irritated that I would question. And I know who was at the job. And I know that Ford Contracting was pulling permits on small jobs while they were doing these big jobs for Harris. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute, and I, I personally think this is sort of a flimsy argument. But is you know, are these kinds of things the price of uh, of a boom town like Las Vegas? I mean, is is this sort of collateral damage in the quest for uh, for feeding the economic engine? Is would anyone make that argument? And is there anything to that? Do you have any thoughts? I say I say yes. Um, you're in a in a town that all these casinos are being, you know, that they're vying for, um, you know, guests in their hotels that to make money, and that uh, I think that um, it, you've got the perfect atmosphere here is that the, they want things done fast, um, and, um, you know, that basically is that uh, they're just looking at the end result. They don't care how you get to it. I think that that's, you know, um, very, if that is the case and that is the rationale, when, and I don't disagree, it probably is, but I think that that's incredibly short-sighted. Um, anyone who remembers um, the aftermath of the MGM Grand fire at what at the hotel that's now Bally's, um, and and even the and even the Hilton fire, you know, those were so bad for Las Vegas. Um, you know, the kind of thing that, you know, that those those led uh, there was a, a full decade of no new resort construction in Las Vegas after that. Now that coincided with Atlantic City and Laughlin um, booming, but it would be very, very bad for the city to have um, a disaster on on the, that scale. And it just is—it's uh, just ridiculous. The county should be a rigorous 
um, enforcer of um, strip building codes as a protector, not just of the local public, but of the, the visiting public. And the hotels should encourage that. They should, they should emphasize it. I mean, just as they, they, just as, you know, excellent customer service and really good restaurants and, you know, 500 um, thread count sheets in the rooms, all those things add up to customer satisfaction, you know, sort of point, you know, making it a point of pride how safe the place is should be something that is is embraced and advertised. You know, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I don't believe that that's going to happen without a change in attitude at county government. But that's what that's what needs to happen, and then the the companies need to uh, to embrace it. And you know, it doesn't seem like it would be that costly to just live up to the rules. It just uh, and and if the county needs to hire more inspectors and have more people at the building department to handle um, the applications for new projects, so be it. Um, you know, the the the, the tourist economy does, you know, stir the drink here and that the money should be spent. But it's just a bad, it's bad news um, when you have, when you risk um, a disaster, much less have one. Yeah. Well, when Bellagio was built, they they went all fiber optic with, with their wiring, not just in the places where it was required with code. And that's, you know, a rare instance of somebody doing more you know, going above the minimum required, and you know, in in what Fred's talking about, you know, we've got cases, and you know, now Boyd has been implicated, MGM Mirage, companies not even doing the minimum. Uh, and there was there was an incident. Uh, I can't, uh, Fred, you might remember this better than than I about a, a fire inspector showing up at Pure and being sent home. That is correct. Um... The fire inspector uh, went out, and I, I don't know if it was Mariah Carey. Uh, they had somebody singing a big name. When the fire inspector, uh, it was their night inspector, um, when he got to the door, um, he realized that they were already over capacity. And doing the job that he was uh, he's paid to do, he actually held the doors, and, and he wouldn't let anybody else in. And... Uh, one of uh, Harris' illustrious, and I'm not going to mention, is that uh, upper management people was there and, and literally got in a toe-to-toe battle and basically told this person that they would, uh, he would make sure that they didn't have a job during the night, um, the night watch of the city anymore. And, um, and a few weeks later, that became true. And actually, he ended up as at leaving, and the doors... Uh, uh, they reopened up the doors, and they allowed uh, more people to come in. You know, and I take a look at it. If there had been a fire again, I mean, we're talking about if there could have been, um, you know, if there would have been, you would have had a disaster. And whose fault would it have been? Who, why wasn't the fire department, why didn't they stand behind their personnel? You know, that, you know, you can't, if you expect inspectors to go out and to make this a safe place, you need to give them the tools to do so. And there was no one on the night watch after that, correct? And there's nobody on the night watch now. Good grief. 
Wow. I didn't you know, know, and think about this town. You're, we're 24 hours a day. Think about Friday and Saturday night, that how busy that these clubs are and stuff, and the millions that they're making. I mean, you'd almost think that there'd be another way is that to pay for the night inspectors to be on because, you know, that they're actually protecting clubs that are making hundreds, some of them probably, you know, that uh, close to hundreds of millions of dollars a year. You know, taking a look at what uh, Pure and the IRS deal at this point in time, it's it, it's it's supposed to be a safe place, and that we're 24 hours, a 24 hour around the clock city. We need to have that protection 24 hours. Well, I mean, there's there's no doubt that safety is of paramount importance. I mean, the fact that people don't even think twice about being safe when they go out on the strip at night walking around and casino hopping and doing all that stuff is such an intangible benefit that it, you, can't, you can't even come close to putting a price on it. And if that went away for whatever reason, I mean, the, I think the uh, results would be a disaster. I agree. All right. Well, I want to briefly touch on um, – on sort of what's going to happen next, I think we, we may have already mentioned, but just just to to re re go back and talk about both of these stories, what's going to happen next? So with in terms of the the situation at Harris, the sort of uh, ongoing, I think you said that uh, the fire department investigation was still open, yeah, um, and will be. I, so I assume at some point that will wrap, we'll, and there will be some kind of official determination as to as to what you know the outcome is. Is that correct? That that is cor- that is correct. It'll actually be in the hands of the. Uh, district attorney's office. Okay, and then on the situation with the Monte Carlo, does anybody know um, exactly where that stands at this point? That's technically not a closed issue either, is it? It's closed. It is closed. That's it is, done it is closed. It can, be re- it can be revisited, but it is closed as of this moment. Wow. Amazing. Well, it's certainly a very important issue, and we thank you for coming on and, and sharing with us. Um, before we close for the day, there is one other one other story I wanted to talk about that I saw in the Sun today. And um, you know, Fred, you're welcome to join us and uh, and comment if you have any thoughts. Um, specifically, a story about Sheldon Adelson, um, the Las Vegas Sands owner, uh, supposedly bilked this Chinese guy out of some money. Um, the story goes that this uh, consultant basically helped Las Vegas Sands set up their connections. Um, with uh, the Macanese government to get their gaming license in Macau, um, and it's a really interesting story uh, that kind of that touches on the Beijing 2008 Olympics. And um, if you know if all of these allegations are true, uh, it's it's pretty wide wide ranging. It's I I was uh, you know I I was not completely up to speed that this was going on. I, Jeff and, and David, you guys probably clo- cover this stuff um, and watch it closer than I do on a day-to-day basis. Were you aware that this was about to go down, and do you have any thoughts? Sure, um, and and this isn't the only dispute involving uh, Sands getting the uh, opportunity to operate in Macau. There's uh, there's at least one other, um, but this this particular suit, um, and, and I think there's a there's a separate one um, that's that's pretty high profile as well. But this, you know, the thing that's sort of interesting is, you know, the venue here in a state court in Nevada. Um, I think that it's probably 
pretty favorable for Las Vegas Sands. Um, and from what I understand, based on what I've read, and I have not read all of the you know the legal documents, I will say that the lawyer for the guy who's uh, suing um, Adelson and Sands is the lawyer who represented me in my um, libel suit that uh, was brought against me by by Sands. So. Uh, um, he's a really good lawyer, and I know his record against Adelson is at least one and zero. So, uh, <laughs> so um, maybe uh, you know, maybe that bodes well for the plaintiff in this case. But um, the thing that you know interests me um, about this is one of the things that is interesting is it was sort of a big shock, I think, to most people in the business that um, that they were selected. I think that people in town thought. You know, MGM Mirage was the presumptive favorite, and I think that uh, you know everyone expected. Um, you know, uh, you know Stanley Ho, of course, was going to uh, continue with the right to operate, and I think that people thought maybe a U.S. operator would win one of the licenses, and that um, an Asian-based operator would win the other. And I think that is that is what happened with, but um, Galaxy was sort of forced into a shotgun wedding with with um um Las Vegas Sands and Adelson at the at the last minute and it was a shotgun wedding that quickly ended in a divorce um and that's the reason we have subconcessions in Macau um it was Ho Win and then Galaxy Sands together and when Sands um and Galaxy said that they couldn't work together Galaxy refused to uh, cooperate in a um with the Nevada gaming regulators mm-hmm. um then then the Macau sort of solved the problem by giving each of the licensees um they split the concession allowed Sands and um Galaxy to each have one and that gave Ho and Win the right to sell their own which was really lucrative for those guys sure. but 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 this case I think you know I'm not positive that there's a written contract um and and if there if there is I know that <clears throat> Sands I think in its in its documents said that they originally had an agreement for I think it was a small um seven figure number I mean you know, with what I make, any seven-figure number is pretty big. But, <laughs> but it was a small seven-figure number, and as well as a small percentage of revenue. But you know, with the money they make in Macau, that any, that sounded any, like any, a pretty good offer to me. Any whole per, any whole percent is pretty good. Yeah. But the guy wasn't pleased with the deal and wanted more. Now, you know, to me, it seems like he should say, "All right, just give me that deal then." But I think that, and and the record of Sands has been to play very. To, to play hardball in these kind of suits, and I have a feeling that that offer is no longer on the table, and they uh, they plan on totally stiffing the guy. So the, that's the question: is whether a Nevada court is going to say there was an agreement, and you know, come up with something between that original deal and you know what the what the guy claims was the bigger. Um, deal. I mean, that seems to me, just as an outsider, to be a logical decision. But my my bet is that a Nevada court is going to have a very hard time finding uh, um, that Las Vegas Sands and Adelson owe the guy dollar one. Well, we'll see. Know, I mean, there's heavy hitter lawyers on both sides, 
Sam Lionel, who's one of the patriarchs of the uh, of Lionel Sawyer and Collins, um, is is Adelson's lawyer, and um, like I said, the 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 plaintiff has a, a really good lawyer, so it should be interesting. Well, I'm you know I'm curious to see what kind of interesting nuggets we get out of the discovery process, if any. I mean, I'm hoping this, as much stuff as possible is made public because I just love to read over that kind of stuff. Well, he, he may Adelson may be on the stand right now, and I know that the last time that um, he was on the stand was when um, Venetian. You know, when Venetian opened, we we forget how that property um, opened sort of shaky, and they weren't they were not paying all their contractors claiming that they, you know, were responsible for some delays and the contractors had countersued and there was a vicious series of um, court battles and uh, which eventually resulted in, uh, you know, Sands winning a little bit of money from them, but the the um, contractors winning a lot more money from, from Sands. Um, and most people would say it was a big defeat for Sands. But Adelson testified in, in that case, or was it in the courtroom in that case, he's expected um, to be testifying either late today, maybe tomorrow. So he may be on the stand right now. And you're right. I mean, that's sort of a golden opportunity for the plaintiff's lawyers to have him on the stand. It'll be interesting to hear what he'll admit. I thought it was funny that they actually that Sands actually tried to keep the press out of the courtroom um, you know, saying that they would have to give up trade secrets or something like that. I mean, if uh, you know that that was just amusing to me as a journalist. Um, you, you know that 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 would be an excuse. But I think luckily, he spent a little too much time in China. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, he loves China. We we had a lot about this in the business press about a year or fourteen months ago. My recollection is that the plaintiff did not have a written contract. It was more in the nature of a gentleman's agreement. I could be wrong. Um, I would be. Is that the wrong kind of agreement to make with? Uh, yeah, with exactly. Stan? I would be more skeptical. I'm somewhat skeptical of his claim. I would be more so if it weren't for the fact that if you follow Sheldon's trail all the way back to the time he came to Las Vegas, you know, it's it's sort of studded with with uh, accusations of broken promises and lawsuits arising therefrom. So there is this pattern that that he has. I mean, maybe he's just one of those unlucky people that trouble follows him wherever he goes. But but you will find that pattern in his history well I don't know interesting stuff I'll certainly be watching it to see what we can learn um, I think that's probably going to be it for today we're at about just under a hair under an hour so why don't we wrap it up I'm uh, actually this weekend going to be sampling a uh, the Trump Las Vegas Hotel and Tower just to see what that's all about so I'll be sure to report back on my experience um, you know, I kind of loathe Donald Trump and all he represents, but uh, had to give it a try. I haven't, I haven't tried one of these condo hotels yet, so I want to see what the experience is like, especially with uh, Mr. Trump in the great state of Nevada. So I'll be sure to let you guys know what I think. Hunter, you need to go buy a Donald J. Trump suit and tie <laughs> right. and wear it to the DJT restaurant there. I can put, and- uh, I can put his uh, his his educational courses on my iPod and listen to them while I'm on my way out there. And, and whenever you say the word Trump, you should say it with much more enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, D- I, dye your hair orange. Duly noted. <laughs> 
All right, guys. Um, Fred, thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's an important issue that isn't that you know should be talked about uh, seriously, and hopefully we'll get more more play. I appreciate you being on with us today. Um, let's go around the room, and I'll let uh, my regular contributors tell you guys where they can be found. Um, David McKee, if people want to track down your writing, where would they find it? LasVegasAdvisor.com. Great. And Chuck, you were quiet today, but we love that you're there. Um, where can people find you? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I got a lot of good stuff uh, coming out on the Macau site, MacauTripping.com right now. So. All right. Great. And Jeff Simpson, what about you? Well, I just wanted to thank Fred for coming on the show. And uh, mm-hmm. as, as, a, as, a, as a journalist, we love whistleblowers, and we think that, uh, that more people should do um, the kind of uh, good thing that um, Fred has done. Um, and I'm on uh, LasVegasSun.com and InBusinessLasVegas.com. Great. I'd like to tack something on there uh, yeah. also along with uh, what Jeff said, is to thank Fred for being a, a hero to tourists. A lot of people were, are, are just shocked by by this story, and that he had the uh, had the courage to step forward and you know make sure that that this issue got brought to light is really really heroic of him, and I thank him deeply on, on behalf of everybody who stays in Las Vegas. I agree, and you know obviously paid for it. I mean, look, I mean, uh, you know, giving up, getting hoisted out of out of a job is no little thing. So I'll I'll second that. Well, I uh, I appreciate that, and uh, I just wanted to let you guys know I I appreciate the opportunity to be able to uh, to talk. Absolutely. All right, we'll leave it at that. I hope uh, all you all out there have a wonderful weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you guys in a couple of weeks. Good afternoon, guys. Bye bye. Great. Bye. bye. bye.